My friends, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son who gave his life for giving you, so that sin and death would no longer bind your hearts and mind and soul, but that you, beloved of God, would be saved and given eternal life. Amen. Well, everyone knows love is important. We seek after it. We wonder about it. We look for it. We want it. Love makes the world go round, right? And so we're always trying to find more and more love or to be more loving ourselves. If we could just love more, we're told, well, all the problems of the world would vanish before us. But it never quite seems to happen, right? The problems abound. We keep looking for love, but we don't know where to find the stuff or how to get more of it in the world. Well-meaning people often quote that God is love, as if this were going to help us, from John, 1 John chapter 4. And if you go to a wedding, you'll hear the sappiness of 1 Corinthians 13, that love is patient and love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful, but still we wonder, where is that love? And even if they can't cite chapter and verse, they almost use those verses as readily as what we heard today. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Love is a favorite. There's no doubt about that. Love is also a squishy, amorphous, undefinable something out there that everyone seems to be seeking after, but we don't quite know exactly what it is. Yes, we sort of know what love is when we see it, we think, when we feel it. And we know that we're trying to find more of it to improve things, but we finally just can't quite get a handle on what it means. We never quite get our hands around it. Well, I don't want you to take that as a knock on your personal life, by the way. This is not just our problem or something you caused. Figuring out love has been proven difficult for history's greatest thinkers throughout centuries. Eloquent, high-minded theories about the nature of love have abounded and filled volumes of books Plato, for example, taught that love was about reuniting the fractured nature of the world. It would begin with physical attraction and you would find something else and pull it towards yourself and reunite with another. And out of that love, that would lead you into deeper connections with even higher things like beauty and wisdom. And finally, finally, through love, all, all of things could be united in the ultimate truth. It's pretty important. And then there was Aristotle who believed that love began, had to begin with loving yourself, finding something within you that was good and lovely so that you could come to love that about yourself and then overflow that love to others and find things in others that were, were lovely as well and love would attract us together again. Love is wanting good for others in this way. 
And that's all powerful, high-minded, philosophical mumbo-jumbo. It's very idealistic, these thoughts about love. And you can hear the echoes of those teachings in the way that we seek and look for love even yet today. They inform our understanding and also our confusion. Because they are so high-minded, they rarely get right down into the nuts and bolts of loving one another, down into the depths of how love is actually experienced. And so philosophers have proven to be really unhelpful failures in putting more love into the world. But don't fear not, popular culture has taken up the mantle and they've shown us the way. Love is a main topic of just about every song you've ever heard, isn't it? But that only shows me that we know very little about what this is because every other week you find another song trying to define it for us. And the words quite can't, quite, can't quite get around to it and so they have to attach a new sappy melody so that it sinks in deeper and deeper into us. We keep attaching this word of love to music and art to make it more meaningful and deep for us, to have an emotional reaction to it. But still, that hasn't created more love in the world, has it? But fear not, for we are so lucky. We live in the time when, when the, the, the way of love has just been poured into our living rooms through the television set. The best explanation of love has, has arrived right to us in that great show, The Bachelor, or The Bachelorette. You've watched some of this. Here they go, seeking love, taking the best they could find and throwing them into a house together in order to have multiple interactions. They start with the appearance, of course, right? They might be wearing a costume or putting on something to get noticed, like a peacock. But then they go looking deeper. They start conversing and asking questions and Still, they're trying to put their best foot forward, seeking to look past my character flaws that might be fatal in other places and to find something within each other that attracts the loveliness to one another. And we get to look from the outside, not having to be part of this at all and saying, that's the one for you. You ought to pick him. She's the prettiest and the smartest. And you get to go through multiple rounds of this, watching rejection and closeness interact, looking for that special one connection that could unlock a whole world of potential. And then you get to shout at the, sh at the television show also, why did you pick him? That was so stupid, I would have never picked him which again shows us that love is not what we think it is. It's not finding that one little spark inside of you to connect to that one little diamond inside of me that we put it together, but love is by its nature unpredictable, irrational. It's always choosing the wrong sorts of things despite what parents want for their children getting married. After all, what do we say but that we fell into love? We fell into it. It wasn't planned. It wasn't prepared. 
but it happened. It happened without your consent, like stepping off of a roof. You just couldn't help yourself. You couldn't grab yourself and hold on to something else. Instead, it took you over. So love in this way is beyond our reason. For something beyond our reason entangles our hearts, and so we love. This has to be closer to what love is, doesn't it? I mean, how else could the Bible be so clear to tell us that God loves a world that hates him? A world that rejects him over and over again. There's no rational reason for it. He's not digging to the center of the earth to find all of the beautiful gems that are there. He loves the world beyond reason and rationality. So much so that he comes into the world, into his creation, in order to talk, to speak, to tell his creatures, I love you. There are so many reasons to doubt that God loves us. There's the disease. There's the troubles. There's the punishments that we all feel. There's the poisonous serpents that he sends into the world to bite people. There are the plagues and the germs and the death. It all feels like God might be against it. But Jesus speaks to us today saying God loves the world. Not because he finds it lovely, but simply because God loves. And finally, that's what must be said. All the high-minded thoughts and ideals about love don't come to you until it's said. I love you. And there, love springs. God loves not by becoming desirable in our eyes, but by bringing us to nothing in order to create us anew, so that we would be born again, not by our deeds and our attractiveness and our way of saying, God, it's finally good for you to come to us, but simply because God is love, and God's love is good. And so Jesus speaks this word to us, and finally it has to be said, just as always, I love you in order for it to be believed. God loves you. And thereby he comes into the world to expose your sin, to shine a light upon it, so that you would have nothing to hide behind, no place to say, God, you can't find me here. You would never love me if you saw what was behind this. For he will not let anything stand between you and he, not finally, after all. Not your hard hearts, not your unloveliness, not your love of hiding your true self. He exposes your sin not to hold it against you, but to remove it from you, to take it away. 
Because then God loves you by taking your sin away from you onto himself. Removing all the things that you would say, God cannot love me for this. And saying, those are all gone from you. They are on me now. Jesus himself comes and takes your sin, gathering it up in order not to say, you're such a sinner, but to say, you are forgiven. This is removed from you. It will not stand before. God loves you, not in the way that we love, through life unto death where it would finally end, but God loves you from death to life, taking you from nothing and giving you life in Jesus Christ. And that's finally what love means when God loves you. It's not taking that which he finds beautiful or perfect within you and dusting it off and making it even better, but rather by loving you when you are dead in sin and making you alive with Christ. Even as you sin against him, he says, my life is yours. God loves you in Jesus Christ. God loves you in Jesus Christ so that you would have his promise, believe it, and by faith have his eternal life. So I'll say it once more so that there is no doubt. God loves you in Jesus Christ. Amen.